Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and welcome to Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 10th, 2012. Tonight I'm going to have uh, Mike Delaney here from ProSync.org, and we're going to have a conversation. We, we, I don't think either of us have, have really actually come up with a structured plan for this program. I have a lot of material in front of me, though. But we're going to have a conversation about blacks and crime and how the media covers up and, and basically ends up, ends up facilitating black crime and, and, and how they um, continually apologize for blacks and, and hide or, or at least do their best not to report the, the nature of, of the perpetrators behind many crimes. Hello, Mike. How are you doing tonight? Ah, pretty good. Good evening, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. What, what do you think about the racial bias of the media? I, I have some hard feedback. Uh, yeah, let me um, let me uh, put on a headset here. I'll, well, to answer that question uh, in, a, in a quick sense, because I sure have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, you know, we we see it every day. We see it all the time in the media. Where, um, oh gosh, you, you could go on and on about this one. Let's take for instance, let's let's go back uh say September of last year. Is this last year now? Yeah, September of last year. Uh I personally spoke at a at a at a rally out in West Dallas, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, regarding black flash mobs. And uh I, I noticed this firsthand. I mean this is where I grew up was Milwaukee, Wisconsin and they had several incidents, and I, I haven't heard it reported lately. I don't know if blacks have just all of a sudden stopped doing the flash mob thing or not, but I haven't heard it nowhere near as prevalent as it was getting for a while. Thanks on behalf of people like us that have you know really hammered the issue. But one of the things, as far as the media bias goes, is you'll notice that, um, like, take for instance the, the ones that happened in Milwaukee. One was in a half block away from my old neighborhood. The other one at the state fair was a block away from my sister's neighborhood, and uh, each time, the the media I mean, and this is just so retarded. And most people get this, and no matter how much brainwashing they have, most people see this, and and I see it in the comment sections. But they see the hypocrisy in the media when it's a unified group of blacks, and they're specifically targeting whites. I mean, you name it, honky, cracker, kill you, whatever it happens. And they come out and say it. And everybody that's there that's being victimized by these these mobs sees it clearly. You know, no matter how much anti-racism uh, brainwashing they get, they still see the fact that, hey, these blacks were targeting us because we were white. They said so. And when they were kicking me in the head, they said, go down, cracker, go down, honky. Well, the media will, will portray this as a... It possibly is racially biased, possibly racially motivated. Meanwhile, we take the the other side of the coin here. We look at this incident. I believe it was Mississippi, where a couple of white kids go and they uh, they go and look for uh, somebody black supposedly, and and it was a media circus. They killed, you know, they ended up killing some black guy. Or I forget exactly how the case went down, but it was whites targeting a black person. That all hell broke loose, didn't it? I mean, we heard about it for weeks on end. The, the the Nazis were coming. The Nazis were coming. 
you know, racism has to stop or oy vey, the racism is getting crazy in America. White supremacist groups are growing everywhere. Here's the ADL, the ACLU, the SPLC, the FBI, you name it. They all come out. I mean, this is completely retarded, the amount of, of, of media coverage you'll get on this. But, like I said, going back to the other side of the coin, the bias, look at uh, Christopher Shannon and Chris Newsom. Uh, who were bludgeoned to death, uh, poured bleach down their orifices, raped, mutilated, I mean, you name it. I mean, some some real Jeffrey Dahmer type of actions. Uh, mind you, Jeffrey Dahmer got immediate attention, right, because he's white. But these five black individuals uh, did this her, ha- uh, heinous crime to these two younger uh, white couple, and uh, there wasn't anything in the media about this. I mean, this should have been all over the news. Yeah, of course not. Of course it wasn't. So, you know, so as far as my view on, on how the media portrays this, we could make this a, a, a – we could be on the radio 24 hours a day for the next 10 weeks straight and lay out uh, tit for tat of how they play. And like I said – you know, we obviously the people that, that that come here and listen to you know uh, Bill or myself see this clearly. But I do, I'll tell you what, the, the general public sees this as well. They just don't say anything about it, you know. And here's another here's another little tricky thing that these uh, slime balls, these rat face do. They'll when they send out their media reporters, you'll always see the token black reporter interviewing the white victims, right? Well, uh, do you think this is racially motivated, huh? Huh? Do you honky? You know, and that's that's kind of all, all the you time see. I've you, seen that all the time. It's incredible. Yeah, you know, it's like they always have to send the black reporter out there to interview the white victims, and it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. I I think the most astonishing and disgusting uh, media report I saw was uh, actually out. Uh, I believe it was right near Philly. There it was in Pennsylvania. I know that, but it was the. Um, I, I, I think you've probably seen this as well, Bill. They were saying that there were citizens arming themselves in response to being possibly in the mix of a flash mob and defending themselves. It was a black reporter, black news anchor. Uh, I don't know, some kind of mystery meet, uh, you know, half black uh, chief of police they interviewed. And they were astonished. And they made some inu- uh, insinuations that it was, you know, your, your white people that were arming themselves against these and all of a sudden it was these are kids oh my gosh oh my these kids don't even have a some of them don't even have a criminal record and i'm like yeah because these kids they come right out the box and they catch a murder rap before they catch even a car theft or anything but they were the way they portrayed this is that people to defend themselves against these black flash mobs you were almost a criminal how dare you defend yourself these are children Uh, you know oy vey and so I guarantee, like I said, over and over again, if these were whites <laughs> stomping down the streets, beating the living snot out of every non-white they could find, I mean, there would be the National Guard out, you know, you name it. You know, we'd have the U.N. coming in here trying to impose sanctions and everything else. So, yeah, the the, the media is, uh, it is what it is. It's certainly playing its role of uh, inundating us with uh, with very biasness. And it's, it's uniform across the board, and... There's people out there, it's shocking, I meet people all the time that still think there's a difference between one flavor and another, and I, I tell them all the time, I said, you ever notice how the, here's a perfect example, to digress a little bit, I was talking to a neighbor, and I said, you ever notice how they portray 
not only a white person, but especially a white male on the media at all times. What are they portrayed as? You know, a sloth, a football-watching, beer-drinking, you know, uh, scum that doesn't know anything. You know, it doesn't even know how to turn a ranch or anything. And I said, what do you always see a black person as on the media? The chief of police, the president, the general, the military, the jet fighter pilot, the hero of the day. Always. There's quite the opposite in reality there. So, you know, that's just another example of uh, of how they uh, portray bias in the media towards, uh, especially towards blacks. Blacks are uh, seem to be the puppy dogs to to these uh, yeah, big hook nosed son of. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should coin coin a new term. We should call it blackwashing when blacks are washed out of media reports about crime. Well, we should call it blackwashing. The blacks are washed out of these reports. It, it's, um, I, I saw this report. I, I want to talk about um, – well, well, first you were talking about the flash mobs. I, I have an article here from philly2philly.com, and, and this is a pretty mainstream site, right? It's a mainstream site that, that tries to make a business out of um, – supplying entertainment and sports and politics information to people in Philadelphia. And this site has an article, Flash Mobs in Philadelphia. Sorry, PC America, they are a racial thing. This is a totally mainstream site that's making this admission and, and it's making this assertion. And not only in Philadelphia, but it mentions Chicago, it mentions Wisconsin, and, and and it's, it's actually making the profession or, or the confession, I don't know which way to look at it, that these are racially motivated attacks. I, I remember when the Wisconsin, when the Milwaukee State Fair was torn apart by Negroes, the cops were falling all over themselves to deny it was a racial incident in, in their press releases. And it was clearly a racial incident. And all of the victims were, were professing and asserting that they were chosen because they were white, because of their race. And it, it's um, that there are going to be no hate crimes prosecutions coming out of any of that. And there aren't going to be any hate crimes prosecutions coming out of the, the, the flash mobs in Philadelphia. That now under um, much political pressure and, and in the face of much... Um, yeah, you know, many complaints and much evidence that this is certainly racial incidents in Philadelphia, that this mayor in Philadelphia, Michael Nutter, who's black, he um, finally admitted and, and came out and um, castigated the black community for these, these crimes, but he's seen as an outsider by the Negroes in Philadelphia. They see him as an Uncle Tom. The, the average Negro in Philadelphia doesn't even like him because they see him as basically, you know, one of, you know, a turncoat and, and Uncle Tom, a, a, you know, a white person between the ears, perhaps, is, is the way they view him. And, or anybody talking about responsibility to their actions, exactly. Well, well, right. And Bill Cosby is viewed by Negroes in, in the same way. Ah, he's just trying to be white. You know, he's trying to make us civilized or something. <laughs> And they really can't. That they really reject that. But but it's um it's incredible. It, it's um I have this case in front of me that that I I've kind of started to follow, and I'm going to look into it a little more. I hope that this Alan Kuhn case in um 
in Kansas City, Missouri, that this is a 13-year-old boy who was um, apprehended by two 16-year-old Negroes who poured gasoline on this kid and lit him on fire. And, and now I'm learning, and, and Selwyn Duke, he, he's a writer for New American and a few other mainstream-type conservative sites, it, he's done some investigative work in this, it, with, with this um, Coons case in Missouri. And, and um, evidently, this Michael Coons, well, well when, I read the, when I saw the video of the initial news report, the, the news reporters on Fox News, on a Fox News station, made no mention of the race of the perpetrators at all. And, and they, they seemed to even go out of their way not to mention it. And even, you know, with descriptions of the perpetrators not being given, even though they were, they, there was a manhunt out for them, they were wanted at the time, that they were, um, you know, they escaped from the scene of the crime. And all you saw to, to indicate the race of the perpetrators of this crime in all the initial news releases, you saw a police placard with the description of their clothing that just happened to mention that they were black. Now it seems that this case is a lot deeper, and, and in Kansas City, Missouri, it, it's that this black racism is becoming overt, and, and I believe there are reasons for that, and, and Selwyn Duke mentions them too. And, and I'm going to read just about um, three short paragraphs from, from this article. Was the boy in Kansas City fire attack a victim of his school's racist teaching? And there's an account here which is mother-related and, and which is not an isolated incident. The boy raised his hand, eager to answer the question, what would you know about it, exclaimed the teacher dismissively. You're not our race. This is a black teacher in a public school, right? This was not a dialogue from a Hollywood movie. According to a woman named Melissa Kuhn, the boy's mother, it was what a teacher at East... Uh, at East High School in Kansas City told her 13-year-old son, Alan, when he attempted to answer a question during Black History Month. I guess he should have taken that month off from school, right? Kuhn identifies that teacher as Miss, Mrs. Carla Dorsey, who is black. Alan is white. As already has been reported, Alan, the boy, right, was a victim of a vicious racial attack last week in which two older black teens doused him with gasoline and set him alight, saying, this is what you deserve. This is what you get. This is what you deserve, white boy. Now, in the initial um, news reports that, that came out with this incident, all the mainstream media said or, or repeated from that was, the, the this is what you deserve part. They didn't say anything about the racial bias of the comments that followed. Nothing. That they, only, that they repeated the mother's quotes and they cut her off on the tape. I guess they edited the tape saying this is what you deserve. And, well, and not only that, but this, this particular incident where blacks are dousing white, you know, usually young teenage white males, I've seen, I've seen, personally seen this exact same incident happen probably a good three, four times in the last several years. And so this is just another chapter, and I, I don't know if it's going to turn into a common thing, but I know growing up in brown black ghettos, they used to love setting stuff on fire. They'd catch an alley cat, they'd douse gasoline on it, set it on fire, and, and laugh and cackle like, you know, the little beast they are. So this is, this is a, you know, this might be a little modus operandi for the, 
for the more uh, vigilant anti-white blacks out there. Well, well, it seems to be the first case I heard, and, and I have it on. I have a, a a video and a couple of paragraphs about it on my Saxon Messenger site, and what was Michael Brewer in Florida, and I have a video of the initial news report when he was doused with with um, a flammable liquid and and lit on fire, and he was um, injured a lot more than the, than the Coon kid. In, in Kansas City, his injuries were very serious, and, and he, I, I think I remember something about him saving his own life when he jumped into a neighbor's pool, and, exactly. and, likewise, and likewise, Alan Kuhn was able to douse the flames off his head with, with his own shirt. Well, well this, um, the, the initial media reports I saw in the Michael Brewer case, it said that for youths, that they weren't called Negroes, right? They weren't called Hispanics, that they were called youths or teens, had, 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 um, had a fight with him over a bicycle and a video game. That was the, that, that was the initial report. They were fighting over a bicycle and a video game, and, and, um, and, and they lit him on fire. Well, well, what the news in the original report didn't say is that it was Michael Brewer's bicycle, and it was Michael Brewer's video game. That's not a fight. That's a robbery. They didn't say it was a robbery. They just yeah, said so it was it's fight. an attempted murder, and 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 uh, you could call gasoline being armed. I mean, that certainly is a weapon in a sense, right? So the attempted murder and armed robbery. I mean, at least strong armed robbery. Yeah, exactly. It's, it made it sound and, like and it was they, a vandalism or something. They characterized it as, as a teenage fight. And the, the, the police in the Alan Kuhn case, the original press report from the police department, the cops stood there and said, oh, you know how teenagers fight. That's what he said. But, and, and then he went on to say, but this is a little more serious than that when somebody gets burned. But this was nothing about teenagers fighting. That This wasn't the average schoolyard scrap that we had when we were kids. This was two 16-year-old Negroes accosting a 13-year-old white kid that, they, that, that did not know them. That, that didn't, they were strangers to him, right? And, and um, that's not the average teenage fight. Any more than Michael Brewer was fighting with these four um, I, I want to call them Negroes because they look like it, but some of them have Hispanic names. But with, with, with these four squat monsters in, in Florida, he wasn't fighting with them. He was trying to prevent his stuff from being robbed. He, he was doing what any brave white kid should do, right? It, it's crazy. And, and they characterize, oh, they were fighting over a bike. If you and I have a fight and I got your wallet in my hand, is that a fight over your wallet? Well, well, not really. It's a robbery. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to. They don't want to come out. The media doesn't want to say four black youths were robbing Michael Brewer and doused him on fire. That they, they go out of their way to. It, it's they trip over themselves. They fall over themselves to avoid just coming out and saying the truth. I've seen this distinctly growing up watching the news and seeing that you know that was that was an automatic thing if there was some if there was a criminal being looked for it was automatically white black hispanic asian i mean right away that's off the bat that's the first description you give and you made a good point is that the media if especially if it's non whites 
if it's non-whites, especially blacks at that, it, there isn't ever a description of race. And I've, I made the point at one time of calling a police station and a uh, newspaper about that, you know, and I got the runaround. But I said, how are we as citizens supposed to look for this criminal that did so and so, that did such and such? And you won't even describe the criminal's race, you know, and it's a, it's a retarded thing. <laughs> what are they? Are they black, white? Are they, is it a space alien? Is it an underground lizard? I mean, what were they? You know, so, yeah, they do. They do. They trip over themselves. It's crazy. It really is. It's crazy how they do that, you know. And and or you like I said, their new coin term, youth, youths, whatever, teens. You know, they they love uh, uh, you know putting these new terms to it. So <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. Well, well, yes. It it it's just sickening. It, it's really sickening because people need to be informed. The media is supposed to inform the public. That is, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time here, I'm sorry, that that is their, their, um, their responsibility. That's how they get their licenses. I mean, if you have a public license to be a plumber, and you're expected to hold certain standards, and if you don't hold those standards, you're going to lose your license. The media has an obligation to inform the public and, 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 and print the news. And they're not printing their news. That They're printing their, their Jewish agenda is what they're printing. I have a, um, an article here from a Mary Schmitch. And this is this is really incredible. This is absolutely this is incredibly hypocritical. I, I can't imagine that this is amazing. That this Mary Schmitch, the Chicago Tribune was under a lot of pressure because they weren't printing the race. That they had all kinds of flash riots in Chicago also, and they didn't get the airplay that the the flash riots in Philadelphia got. But they were that they were just as bad. And, and this Mary Schmitch actually wrote an article published in the Chicago Tribune on June 8, 2011, defending the fact that they weren't reporting the race of the perpetrators. And, and she said, when a news story omits race, do we know any less? And the primary reason she gave for not printing the race of the perpetrators in the flash riots was so that they wouldn't hurt the feelings of all the black teenagers in Chicago who were good teenagers who didn't get involved in the flash in, in the flash mobs. That that's that, that's nuts. That's now, what you call chutzpah. <laughs> and this is here's the hypocritical half, right? Here's the hypocritical half. Not not um and you can probably find a lot more stuff like this in the Chicago Tribune, right? Five months later, a negress named Don Rhodes, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, prints an article catching up with newsmakers of the 90s. And the lead story in her Newsmakers of the 90s article that she wrote here is about the murder of Ricky Birdsong, the former black 
men's head basketball coach at Northwestern University, who was gunned down by a 21-year-old white supremacist, Benjamin Smith. So they dig that they refuse, that they say that they don't want to hurt black teenagers' feelings so they don't print the, perpe- the, the, the race of the perpetrators and all the flash mobs that, that people, that, that things that are happening today, right? Things that people should be made aware of today so that you don't walk through your white neighborhood and go down the street with 25 black kids standing at the other end, right? You might want to avoid that, right? in a flash mob situation, right? So, so they go out of the way to pull out this 14-year-old story about a lone white nut going around shooting people that, that killed a black man. And, and, and they had no problem mentioning the race of the perpetrator here. It, it's incredibly hypocritical. And, and that's the Chicago Tribune. We, oh, we don't want to print their race. We might hurt people's feelings. Oh, but this evil white guy, look at what he did. It's incredible. I don't believe it. I don't know about you, Bill. But have you ever seen a, a article in, in any of these presses that say a black supremacist did so-and-so to a white person? No, never. They're, they're disgruntled youths. They're disaffected. <laughs> they're, they're, it's incredible. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, you know what? I, I got the statistics in front of me, right? Poverty is the number one attribute, factor which is attributed to the plight of these black people. It, it's poverty that makes them do all these things. And in front of me, I have Table 695 from the U.S. Census Bureau for, for the 2000, and, and, and um, it, it's from census.gov. It's part of the 2010 Census Project. And, and this Table 695 is money income. Money income of families number and distribution by race and Hispanic origin. And, and in this table, his, people of Hispanic origin are counted separately, right? Uh, and, and whites and blacks are counted only as being whites who are not of Hispanic origin and blacks who are not of Hispanic origin. And that's important because we're going to get to more of that, uh, of the way they fudge those numbers up later, right? In 2009, there were... 915,000 Hispanic families with incomes under $10,000. There were 156,000 Asian families. Of course, they're a much smaller portion of the population, right? There were 1,600,000, no, no, I'm sorry, 1,062,000 black families with incomes of under $10,000. There were 2.7 million white families with incomes under $10,000. There were three, there were three times almost the number of Hispanic families, as the, you know, three times the number of, I'm sorry, white families were three times as numerous as Hispanic families with incomes under $10,000, and 2.7 times the number of blacks. Now, the crime, if you look at the crimes, I have the FBI crime statistics in front of me by race for 2010. Blacks committed 4,209 murders, and whites committed 4,261 murders. 
but Hispanics are counted in with blacks or whites. And more Hispanics, if you compare the census figures, are counted as white than black. Now, now um, it can be said, and, and it can be shown in different ways, that Hispanics are responsible for a great number of those crimes which the FBI classifies as white. But the FBI doesn't break out statistics for Hispanics from the crime figures. You know what? I can, I can tell you, I've seen this with my own eyes. I was at a police station when I was down in uh, North Carolina, and they had the top ten FBI's most wanted up there. And I was astonished. I'm looking at these names, uh, you know, Juan Jorge's, and, and I'm looking at their, their race, white, or not even white, white-Caucasian. And it was like five of them up there that were overtly mestizo you know, and border jumpers at that. And they were classified as white and Caucasian. This is on FBI's 10 most wanted list. I don't know, it's probably about that, that one I was looking at was about a, a year ago now. So, But the, I've seen that, where they specifically throw them in the white category. And, you know, our yarmulke-wearing friends out there, too, they get thrown in there. So anything they do is uh, thrown under as, you know, probably more like white-collar crime sometimes. Well, well but, not only them, but Arabs and Indians. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. And, and everybody, everybody who's not... Asian or black gets thrown in the white category. Now, now you know, I was um, in law enforcement for 12 years, right? And, and from 1981 to 1993. And um, when I worked in, in New Jersey in, in a county jail, there were three racial, well, well, there were four, but we got so few Asians. We, we, we really did. It was a very rare sight. And we never got any um, Pacific Islanders or American Indians, right? Not in Jersey City. There aren't a whole lot of tantos running around. Well, well um, there were basically three racial categories, white, black, and Hispanic. And that's the way all of the municipal police arrest reports were also, because they didn't classify Hispanics as whites. But for the, the, the purposes, for the Census Bureau, the Census Bureau breaks out in populations and in all of its tables, they break out Hispanics. But the FBI refuses to break Hispanics out of its crime figures. And that skews the crime figures. But even with the skewed crime figures, whites, according to the Census Bureau, are 72% of the population. And blacks, according to the Census Bureau, are 12%. Actually, it's 12.6% of the population. Now, non-white, uh, non-Hispanic whites, according to the 2010 census, are about 62,000. Uh, I'm sorry, 62% of the population. So if blacks are 12.6% and non-Hispanic whites are, are um, 62 or 63%, I think it is, well, well, then there's five times as many non-Hispanic whites in the country as there are blacks. And if that's the case, then to make the murder numbers proportionate, you have to multiply the black number by five. So if whites are responsible for all 4,200 murders, and we know that's not true because a great number of them should be attributed to, to Hispanics, Blacks also have 4,200 murders in 2010. That's what they've committed. So you have to make that, in order to make it proportionate to, to the number of whites, 
you have to multiply that number by five. So blacks committed 20,000 murders proportionately to the whites' 4,200. That, that, that would be the, the, the multiplication factor. And all black crime, in order to make it proportionate to the white population, would have to be multiplied by five in, in order to, to show how many, of, how, how many of these crimes are committed by blacks as a, as a ratio to the number of blacks as compared to crimes and, and the number of whites. So, so it's incredible that blacks are, look, it, it looks like they're, they're five times more likely at least to commit murder than whites and Hispanics. It's incredible. And, that's, and, and we're not being informed by the media as to the perpetrators of, of many of the crimes that occur in our cities, and the media is doing it on purpose. There was a, a report I saw, and I was trying to find it last day and a half here, and it was it was done really well. It was a report that showed it was getting on this whole idea of the the poverty thing. I mean, first of all, the idea that somebody can't take responsibility for their actions because of so and so A and B. Well, we know who likes to push this victimization stuff out there that nobody uh, nobody's ever responsible for their own uh, actions, and that's. Uh, that's something they attribute to blacks all the time, but let's just say poverty is a uh, you know a reason to go out and rape, rob, and pour bleach down white girls' throats and rape them. Um, well, well right, out, but that's <laughs> my point. With I'm going to publish these numbers with this podcast, right? I'm going to publish okay. the PDFs that I have with the podcast, and, and I'm going to publish this census report uh, on um, income and families because whites, even though. When you look at the percentages, 11.3% of black families have an income under 10,000. 6.6% have an income 10 to 14,000. And 7.3% have an income of 15 to 19,000, right? And those numbers are higher than the white percentages, respectively, of 4.2, 3.0, and 3.7. So we have basically 10. 11% 11% of whites, white families have an income of less than $20,000. And 24%, 25% of blacks have an income of less than $20,000, of black families. However, 25% of black families is not anywhere as near as high as a number as 11% of white families because there are um, five times more whites or six times more whites in, in this country than there are blacks. So, so that number, even though it's only 11% to 24%, the number is, the, the physical number is much higher. And, and we see in, um, in the number of families, 2.2456, almost 7 million white families have an income of less than $20,000, where it's only about 2.3 million black families. So, so there should be, so, so what I'm saying is whites should be committing two and a half times the murders that blacks commit. And they're not. That they're committing roughly the, the equivalent without the Hispanic factor. That now robberies, whites and, and white Hispanics, right, or, or all the Hispanics and Jews and Arabs that are lumped in with whites, in 2010 committed 37,906 robberies. Now we know that actual whites are only a small percentage of those where blacks committed 48,000 robberies. 
48,000. And, and that's, that can't be because of their poverty, because there are many more poor whites in this country than there are blacks. There are more whites in poverty in this country, if you really look at the figures, than there are the total number of blacks. Well, that was, yeah, that was what this report was showing. It was comparing West Virginia, which is a predominantly white state, and showing the crime rate there. And then I forget what the other state was, but it was equivalent with a, uh, you know, in proportions with a black population. And the comparisons were astonishing. And like I said, white, West Virginia is a very poverty-stricken, predominantly white state with hardly any crime at all. Then you go to Detroit or Atlanta or Chicago. I mean, you name it. You name any of these uh, infested urban jungles, and the crime rate's through the roof. Right. And West Virginia's very poor. As a, as a, the the majority of the state is very poor compared to the surrounding states. Mm-hmm. I have a report here. I'm gonna. I, I have it on 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 one of my sites. Uh, I think it's on race and crime in Iowa, which is a a site that's not really being kept up right now. But but it it really only existed to display certain reports. I'm gonna put it on Christagenia probably with this podcast. It's called The Color of Crime, and the last update was 2005, and it's put out by um, the New Century Foundation. The major findings in The Color of Crime, the crime rates, blacks are seven times more likely than people of other races to commit murder and eight times more likely to commit robbery. When blacks commit crimes of violence, they are nearly three times more likely than non-blacks to use a gun and more than twice as likely to use a knife. Hispanics commit violent crimes at roughly three times the white rate. Now, that has to be considered when we look at the numbers for, for crimes committed by whites as compared to crimes committed by blacks. And the FBI doesn't break out Hispanics. And, and they have to do that on purpose. That, that has to be part of some liberal agenda. I, I don't know when they started with that or, or if they've always done it that way. I, I don't know how they determine what a, a white Hispanic is and, and what a black Hispanic is. I've seen Hispanics who, who didn't appear to be black, who, who were darker skinned, then blacks who appeared to be um, mongrels, high yellows, you know, what, what, whatever you want to call them, red bones. There's different mixtures oh, there, right? Obamas. Yeah, Obamas, <laughs> right. What, what is he? Uh, I've, I've seen Dominicans darker than him, right? Or, or Cubans with tans darker than him. <laughs> it, it's, um, it, it's very um, misleading the way the FBI compiles their crime statistics, and, and it has to be by design. It has to be by design because the black crime rate would be much, would appear to be much more disparate compared to the white crime rate if Hispanics were broken out into a separate category. And they should be, and they're not. Because Hispanics, most Hispanics, I mean, yes, there probably are a few white Hispanics or, or Hispanics that look awfully close to being white that most people would accept as white. But they're few and far between. In New York and New Jersey, they're extremely few and far between. It's, um, when I was in law enforcement, we classified Portuguese as Hispanic because we knew damn well they weren't white, and most of them didn't look it. 
solid time. I'll tell you what, those guys that I saw on that FBI 10 most wanted list, none of them could have been confused for being white by any means. Right. Right, absolutely. The average Cuban and the average Puerto Rican, they may not be black, but they sure as hell aren't white. And and they are, as as the color of crime points out, and and you can find the Hispanic, you know, rough figures on, on how many crimes are committed by Hispanics, but you really have to look at the prison numbers. And, and when you do, when you look at the overall prison numbers in the United States, now, now of course, the, the federal prison numbers, there are many more Hispanics, but that's because about a third to, to even maybe as high as half of all the, the Hispanics in federal prison are only there because they're illegal immigrants, right? So, so they skew the federal prison numbers, the Mexicans who are illegal immigrants. There are a lot of them in federal prison. But, but when you look at all the state prisons, the Hispanic population is about 18%, and the white population is about 32 or 30, I think it's 34%. This is all the state prisons and, and federal prisons combined, you know, the entire country. Now, now that being said the white population in prison is almost twice as high as the Hispanic population, but the overall white population is, is, is um, five times higher or four times higher than the, than the overall Hispanic population, four times higher. So, so that's, you know, that number is actually pretty low, you know, and, and the black number is just astronomical because well over 40% of all prisoners nationwide are Negroes. Well, it, it's, it, it's 45%, 44%, something like that. And, and they're only 12% of the population. And, and, and the media would say that their poverty made them like that or, or their poverty had, has um, prevented them from defending themselves against false accusations. And, and that bleeding heart liberal garbage doesn't wash because even and I checked it, even the Wikipedia page on, on race and crime in America, and yes, they have one, admits that the criminal justice system numbers for arrests compared to convictions really hasn't changed from one race to another over 20 years. And, and with all the scrutiny that the court system has been getting as of late in favor of blacks, Basically, the same blacks are being convicted at about the same rate than they were 15, 20 years ago. That there is no bias, and that is also one of the conclusions in the color of crime. And they substantiate their conclusion in the report when they say that the police and the justice system are not biased against minorities. That's just liberal bullshit. It's hogwash. No, well, it's it's the reason why these blacks are committing crimes, not just poverty, too, but it's also white supremacist oppression. Yeah, right. <laughs> How many times do we they hear have, that, too? Yeah, they have all the jobs. They get all the points, the extra points on the – well, we've had 50 years of affirmative action, and not one ghetto has been cleaned up. Not one inner city has become a paradise. Not yet. It, it's. Uh, I'm still waiting for it to happen. I don't think it's going to. <laughs> I don't know. Detroit was looking. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
there's there's another good point. You know, when discussing the 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 contrast between blacks as a as a group of people and whites as a group of people, I'm sure everybody's seen these pictures where they compare. Africa now to Rome 2,000 years ago or Detroit 60 years ago to Detroit now, and you just look at the population that lives there and lives there then and now, and it, it becomes clear. I mean, I, I don't see how people deny that. You know what I mean? Take, for instance, Detroit. You know, you go, well, you know, Detroit was one of the most prosperous cities in the world back in, what, 40s and 50s or so? Yeah. And uh, they shipped, what, all these Negroes up from the south because the northern states had a surplus of jobs, surplus of welfare checks, you name it. They shipped them all up. And now, what, Detroit's 85% black, one of the most dangerous cities in the United States, like a Somalian ghetto. Uh, you know, beautiful buildings and architecture are just destroyed, you know, painted, vagrants living in through them. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite an astonishing contrast there. Well, well, it's um, the the real striking pictures are Detroit today and and Hiroshima compared to Hiroshima, right? Because <laughs> the, because the, the um that the ability for us to destroy Hiroshima was to a great extent built in Detroit, right? And and now today Hiroshima is is a um tech technological mecca and and Detroit is a wreck and the only explanation for that is the American Negro that the the media is coddling and it it I think that um that Selwyn Duke he he has an article teen set on fire and racial attack media silent in the new American and what he explained, and, and I think he explained it well in part of that article, was that the media, when they keep reporting white-on-black crime as white-on-black crime, but they refuse to report black-on-white crime as black-on-white crime, it, it's youths, it's teens, it's perpetrators, it's anything but blacks, who are committing these crimes uh, against whites. When, when they do that, what they do is they keep, in the black mind, they keep the sense and, and they nurture that sense of victimhood, which the blacks love to claim, and that gives the blacks in their minds a reason and a license to lash out. And, and to commit even more crimes of hate against whites. That's a good point because what a lot of, you know, you'll hear blacks justifying, you'll hear even liberal whites justifying that blacks are lashing out because of slavery and, and what have you. But I'm looking at an article right now at FBI.gov where they have, they're showing gangs that are coming straight out of Africa, have never served a day of white slavery, not to mention the fact that it was Jewish anyways for the most part but have never served, you know, don't have ancestors of 400 years of white slavery. They're shipping them over here from Africa, and they immediately go straight to what's natural for them. You know, all the criminal activities they got, they got a, they're showing a picture here. I'm looking at it, a big, huge, uh, you know, one of those, 
airbrush t-shirts you always see when you go to the ghettos everybody's wearing those and it's got an ak-47 at the, at the top and then a somali flag and straight out of somalia gangbanger and this this is the type of mentality so th these it really pisses me off when you see these liberals out here these liberal especially liberal white people that think they're going to fix the negroes by just giving them more handouts you know and it, it, when is it going to come to them that this egalitarian myth that we're all created equal and we're all, you know, uh, have the same potential together is is hopefully going to hit them in the head with a at like a brick one of these days because, you know, it reminds me back when, um, and I just did a video about this generalization versus exceptions. It, it reminds me of you know George Lick and Rockwell being interviewed and the Jewish reporter there are going, oh well, you know, do you think all Negroes are inferior to you? He says, no, I'm sure you could find one that's smarter than me or does something better than me. But he says, I can go down a block and show you seven thousand of them that are hooked on heroin right now. And that's that's the point there is that you know these. For some reason, liberal whites, you know, liberals in general, have been brainwashed to think that they can just fix people by throwing gasoline on some fire or something. It really is, uh, it really is amazing that mentality that can still last this long. I mean, what we're looking at fifty years now that they've been pushing this kind of stuff. Well, well, right. It's it's probably more like seventy years because it really started in the nineteen fifties. But but it's it, it's. The Jewish-controlled media, the liberal media, is lying to the average American about the nature of the beast. That They're lying to the average American and suppressing what the Negro is really like, so that the average American only knows the Negro because he doesn't know from the news reports that 90% of the perpetrators of these crimes are Negroes and Hispanics, that then he, he, he believes that the Negro and the Hispanic is what he does see on TV. Freddie Prince, uh, um, Fresh Prince, and, and well, well, that's not a mistake that they both have similar names. Um, all of the, the cute and, and slick and, and seemingly intelligent, which is really impossible, Negroes. And, and that's what the average American thinks they're like. And, and these, all of these, that these, um, tens of thousands of crimes every year that are, that are perpetrated by, by the American Negro are not reported in the media, except the most tiniest of them and, and the things that the media can't conceal. And for that reason, Americans don't understand what the, the American black is like. They, they just don't understand it. They're, they're beasts. That, they're, um, that They only understand life by the law of the jungle and and they'll do anything to fill their bellies. Here, here's a, here's a good bias uh, story, and this isn't necessarily media; it's Hollywood. But I know you don't watch movies, and I haven't watched this particular one myself either. But it was a movie with this uh, Sandra Bullock character, I guess, and it was she, you know, middle class white family is the theme of the movie. Adopt some black kid, and the black kid turns out to be. Um, uh, a successful football player. That's what the and this is what's portrayed to millions of people across the country. I adopt a black kid, take him out of poverty. He's going to turn into a great kid. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> we saw this exact same reality outside of the Hollywood screen in the streets of America, where this exact same thing happened. Middle class family, beautiful daughter. I don't know if they had any other children other than that. Adopt some black kid. 
black kid comes back a year after he turns 18, dressed up like a ninja, and hacks up the daughter, stabs the father, the mother who finally rescues the, somehow gets the knife out of the kid's head, the kid runs off. That's that's the difference. That's, that's well, well, why wasn't reality. that national attention? Well, why wasn't that national attention? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That they didn't make national attention, but I, I thought that was funny because it was identical to the script of the movie, but it was the opposite. Oh, take for instance, we all seen the video that um, the the old uh, homeless Vietnam white dude uh, punches the black dude out on the bus. The, the I forget what they call him, the bearded uh, hero man or whatever. And now, what is Hollywood coming out with? This this is sickening. I I think we've talked about this before, Bill, but. This what do they call this? The movie is coming out as like Big Shot or something, but Hollywood has rewritten a script where the white guy actually stands up for himself and punches the black guy out to a mestizo standing up for an older black guy and punching two neo-Nazi skinheads out. That's that's when you're talking about media bias. That's the filth, the upside down world that they're pumping into the heads of everybody. And it's, well, well, that's when, when stuff like that happens. You know, the Jews are running things, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It really is. That that is disgusting. The, the um, I, I have some numbers because uh, I see a little banter in the chat. Interracial crime. This is from the Color of Crime, two thousand and five. Of the nearly, and and there was before I start this. It's not going to be that long, but before I start this, there was a video on my site, Mike. You might remember it because I can't remember which video it was, but but it had um and and it was going around on YouTube. It had a black, conservative-sounding black, well-dressed commentator on it who admitted, and I forget who it was, right? Who admitted that ninety percent of interracial crime between blacks and whites is black had black perpetrators and white victims. And, yeah, and Errol Summers or something. Yeah, he's I, I forget his name now too, I'm trying to think. But yeah, he's used in a lot of videos and he, he was being completely truthful. Well well right. This is from the Color of Crime two thousand and five. Of the nearly seven hundred and seventy thousand violent interracial crimes committed every year involving blacks and whites, blacks commit eighty five percent and whites commit 15%. That's almost 6 to 1, right? Blacks commit more violent crime against whites than against blacks. 45% of their victims are white, only 43% are black, and 10% are Hispanic. We'd have to ask the FBI if those Hispanics are white or black. When whites commit violent crime, only 3% of their victims are black. Blacks are an estimated 39 times more likely to commit a violent crime against a white than vice versa, and 136 times more likely to commit a robbery against a white. Blacks are two and a quarter times more likely to commit officially designated hate crimes against whites than vice versa. And that's, I have a case in front of me, it's from last April. This man, William Douglas, 25 years old, Negro, actually turned himself into the police. I guess he knew they were coming for him. He followed a 59-year-old white woman out of a 7-Eleven. And as she got into her car, he attacked her and he started beating her. And he started beating her mercilessly. And this woman did nothing to this Negro. 
Now, he was slamming the door on her legs. He, he was really beating the crap out of her. And he was yelling, and he was yelling at her that he was going to kill her effing white ass. And he was only beating her because she was a white woman. And, and this, is, this article, I'm looking at it on um, another kind of mainstream site, right? It's examiner.com. It's not a, 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 a white right-wing extremist site at all. It's kind of a mainstream site. They have a lot of mainstream advertisers right on the, right on the webpage that I'm looking at. And um, it's not Google ads either. It's regular ads. And they have, why hasn't Hampton, the perpetrator, why hasn't Hampton, the Hampton, I'm sorry, the Hampton assailant been charged with a hate crime? He has not been charged with a hate crime yet. And, and evidently he probably won't be. But, but it's a clear case of a hate crime. And that, again, is something that's very frequent in all of these cases. That the, the, um, the, the government refuses to file hate crimes charges or civil rights charges against Negroes and Hispanics. That they're very quick to do it against whites. I, I know I've been there, right? But but um, that they won't file those charges against Negroes or, or Hispanics. It, it's incredibly hypocritical. That they're extremely reluctant to do that. Yeah, they certainly don't. That's for sure. They. <laughs> might be racially motivated when they're running around stomping white people and calling them cracker and honky and everything, right? Yeah, that's um, it's that it's thick. Hypocrisy is real thick on that. That's for sure. It, it's I have in front of me the the um, FBI's incident incidents of senses victims and known offenders of racial bias attacks. Anti-white racial bias attacks, 575. Anti-black, 2,201. Now, that flies in the face of, of, of everything that we see elsewhere. And it, to me, it, it, it demonstrates that they're simply very reluctant to um, classify black on white attacks as bias attacks. So sort of like Christopher Newsom, right? That that they refused to call that a bias attack, even though it was very clearly all of the facts of the case classified that as a bias attack. And, yeah, and how they, the heck do you add those numbers up with the crime stats we're just reading off? That, they don't that, add up. They don't add up at all because at all. They, re, they they refuse to classify black on white crime as bias attacks that they refuse to classify it because basically um, that they only like to charge whites with, with with those crimes. Oh, check this out: religion, thirteen hundred and twenty-two total um, bias incidents of religious bias because the bias incidents are classified. It's bro broken down into the types of race, religion, sexual orientation and ethnicity or national origin. And, and very hypocritically of the FBI, that they won't break out Hispanics in crime statistics, but they will break out anti-Hispanic bias incidents. So you cannot 
commit a crime as a Hispanic, <laughs> but you can be the victim of bias as a Hispanic. That's absolutely hypocritical. That, there's no vey. doubt. That. <laughs> right. Well, well, speaking of Oyve, and in religion, out of 1,322 bias incidents against religion, 887 of them were anti-Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm and, sure you saw that coming. The, oh, I, I'm sure I saw that coming. And not only that, but I'm, I'm sure if we investigate those crimes, more than half of them are the rabbi staging the false flag on them. Oh, absolutely. The rabbis are drawing the swastikas on, on, on their own synagogues. They're, they're yep. Yeah, I got two videos of that just on my YouTube account alone where they got caught doing that in the mainstream news. Uh, yeah, what's what's some of the things I guess people can do in the meantime right now? You know, I, I personally don't think it's a good idea to be living in, first of all, big cities, especially where you're outnumbered by large scales of blacks. But, you know, I, I guess what are some of the suggestions that people can do to, to uh, help thwart and secure themselves from these types of actions? Because it, to me it sounds like whites are we're, we're on our own. And we, we well, should well, we, right? we, we are on our own. We are on our own, and we don't belong in the cities. What well, we don't belong and engaging what with the um, the the urban culture really. We we don't. We shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be around Negroes. We should guard ourselves against every Negro and every Hispanic and treat them like the criminals they are. If you've seen a black man, you're about to see a crime. The, the, the crime figures prove that. That there are, um, I think it's, it, it's like 24% or something. It's some crazy number of Negroes which, are, which have been in the criminal justice system. Uh, you know, as, as prisoners, parole, probation. <laughs> I, I, whoever posted this in the chat, thank you for posting this. That whoever posted the Texas uh, top ten most wanted there, I'm looking at the pictures right now. This guy named R- Rini Morales Munez, <laughs> white male, gang yeah, affiliations. Right. <laughs> yeah, up, gang affiliations, Mexican mafia, but he's a white male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way they do it. <laughs> Everybody out here, though, they got one American Indian. But the the first four, Anthony Gonzalez, white male. Gaspar Loya, white male. Javier Moran Jr., white male. They're, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, this, this just right there again goes to show when you look at the white crime stats, these guys right here are getting listed as whites, which – it leaves the numbers up to you. It's a mystery what the numbers are going to be, but if you can make a pretty good estimate of what they're supposed to be, right? Well, well right. He, the, the, the FBI crime figures for forcible rape are, are 4,900 with black perpetrators, and it says 10,000 with white perpetrators, and I know that's bullshit. I know that at least half of them are Hispanics, and, and po- possibly more. But, but we'll, we'll, we'll never know because the FBI doesn't break out those figures. But we'd have to go to each, uh, each local law enforcement agency on our own and, and beg for the numbers, and they probably aren't breaking out the figures. 
because they're probably doing like Texas, as, as you're looking at, is doing. Texas is calling him a white male, probably because that's the FBI classification, because they're not going to classify him separately as a Hispanic. It's funny, too, that out of the 10 people here, the whitest-looking person is the only one listed as Hispanic male. I mean, it is funny, because you look at the contrast in pictures here. I'm looking at one. Well, well that's a keeper, right? That, that's a keeper, that page. We, we, got to, we have to post this one, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. the state of Texas? Yeah, this is uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, um, Texas.gov. Their uh, their DPS here, but yeah, we'll I definitely get this posted up with the audio and, because this is a perfect example right here. I mean, it's, and and I would have thought Texas would have been one of more one of the more sensible states, right? But I guess not. No, they don't have a mosquito problem. They they don't have a black problem either, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if for some reason, if you're still in the cities and you're not supposed to be, uh, you know, we, we you do have, well, some of us have rights to be able to uh, protect ourselves if need be. Like that news report I was saying where people, you know, citizens are arming themselves. How dare they against these children? You know, that really need to be vigilant with these kind of incidents. Because I, I grew up in a city, and I'll tell you, there was, Plenty of times I got stomped by blacks, and not because I wasn't fighting back, it's just because there were so many of these damn monkeys jumping on you at once that uh, you couldn't do anything about it. But, um, you know, making sure you're protected in a legal sense is uh, something you should, you know. What does the saying goes? When there's blacks, watch your back or something like that. Well, well, right. You you should just avoid contact with blacks and, and Hispanics. And it should be avoided. You should treat them like the criminals they are. Treat the Negro like you would treat a mountain lion, because he will turn on you and, and rend you if given the opportunity. Especially and therefore, they, they should be anything. Right, they should be treated like criminals. And I, I all my life, I, I've treated Negroes just like I knew they were criminals and, and got right in their faces and, and kind of let them know exactly what I thought about them without having to vociferate it. And um, fortunately, I, I've never had a problem with them all my life. But, but um, that, that's uh, I learned that they were criminals at a very young age and that they were to be treated that way because the Negro sees kindness as weakness. And when you show kindness to a Negro, he sees you as a weak mark. He sees you as a potential victim. If you don't show kindness to a Negro, if you show callousness to a Negro, he will see you as someone who is going to defend himself, and the Negro does not want to take a chance on getting hurt. They calculate the risk. If you're kind and... Um, or especially if you're vacillating, but but if you're kind and soft, they see you as kind and soft, and, and you're an easy target. Oh, absolutely! They're very intensive predators. I mean, they'll they'll prey on you hard if they think you're going to be an easy meal. Absolutely. You know? and, and and they might a lot of them will come up and first you know you'll see this in the inner cities a lot you know they'll come up begging from you and if you don't give them something right away they'll try to rob you or whatever happens but. 
You know, they they will always normally like in uh, in the wild. In the wild, a, a a lion or a tiger, or, or more accurately with these, a hyena is going to go after that lonely rabbit other than a couple of crocodiles or, you know, a couple of tigers. Just go, well, He's going to go after that meal. Well, well, they actually check you out. When, when I was in prison, I could feel them checking me out, watching me move, watching how you carry yourself, looking at the degree of confidence you had in yourself. And, and you have to carry yourself well. You have to show a high degree of confidence in yourself, and they'll leave you alone. They think you're going to defend yourself, they'll leave you alone. But if they think you're soft, if they think that they're going to weigh with pushing you around, they're going to push you all the way. And that's the way they are. They are predators. And, and they have to be treated by whites as criminals. And, and we have to, um, you know, the best way, way to, to be proactive is to inform people and constantly inform people of the, the high degree of black crime, the high degree, the high rates of violent black crime, and that this is their nature, that this is how they really are, and that's why you don't associate with them. What, when, people, what, when people ask me, why, do you, why don't you talk to, to Negroes, I tell them, Right away, why don't I? I tell them they're animals, and they will destroy you, and that's why I don't associate with them. Be right up front. Slap them cold. The average white person in the suburbs who only knows like his favorite um, black actors and, and stuff like that from the television, that they have to be slapped into reality, right? They really do. And, and um, if they don't get it from you, they're going to get it from the Negro, and it may not be pretty when they do. <laughs> yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. So so we we have to um, not not cave in to, to the politically correct bullshit in the media, and, and we have to tell our brethren, our, our brothers and sisters, exactly how these beasts operate and, and um, be aware of it and be informed and, and treat every Negro as if he is a crime that's about to happen, because that's what he is. The black man is, is a crime that's about to happen at any given moment. You know, that's, that brings up a funny point here, too, that... Um I don't know if you've heard this big campaign that the kids in Hollywood are pulling with this Coney in, in Uganda. But, um, I mean, there's some video they put out invisible children at this uh, tyrannical dictator in Africa. This is, this is the thing. They care so much about what some Negroes doing in Africa in his own home country. They won't care what they're doing here. And they're bringing the country down, right? But they, it's the same with the Muslims. They they'll they'll care all day about some you know Muslims over there, but as far as the ones that are immigrating here, that's fine. We're not going to worry about that. But um, yeah, well, well this, that's this, because the end game for the Jews is to destroy white civilization, and, and they know as long as they keep the the lens of of public inspection off of the Negroes and and the Arabs, that each day they advance that agenda. Absolutely. I was looking at this case in Algiers, and, and this case is really a damn shame that this guy, Harry Michael Ainsworth, in Algiers, Louisiana, 
it is um he he walks out of his house to take his two kids to school and he hears a woman screaming so he goes to find out why she's screaming ends up interrupting a carjacking and this that this negro shoots him to death right in front of his own two kids you know, you know i i've seen stories like that recently too but there was a concealed carry permit holder there like uh, about a mile up from my mother's house who she still chooses to live in the pretty much inner city uh was uh, robbing a i forget what kind of store it was maybe a tire shop or something but i've seen this happen more oh no a grocery store um there was a concealed. I've, I've seen this what five, ten times the last few months now. It seems that people are waking up with this concealed carry permit holder. Bam! <laughs> Lays the little thug out in the ground there, and it that, that just tickles me pink when I hear them kind of stories. Well, well, the Ainsworth case. I had the video on the Saxon Messenger site of the initial news report, and once again, the reporter didn't say anything about the race of the assailant until they showed the composite um, police sketch that was made from descriptions what, where he was clearly black. But, but she never said that he was a, a, a young black man, a middle-aged black man, or, or anything like that. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's disgusting that these crimes aren't being reported for what they really are. Mm. Yeah, it makes and you it, wonder if we only knew the real numbers, they would, I mean, not to... It'd shock either one of us. We already kind of got a good idea what's really going on anyway, but, man, imagine what the numbers would really look like. It's It's got to be pretty big. Oh, oh, absolutely. There's there's all kinds of cases. There, there was a um, – well, where is it? I, I have it here, right? This is really disgusting, right? To, to me, it is. This is a young girl, 14 years old, Kelly Olaf, Kelly. O'Loughlin, that this was in, um, I think this happened in December. She came home from school. There was a Negro in her house who took a kitchen knife and stuck it in her chest, stole her cell phone. He fled the house, and later on he called her mother from her cell phone to, to her mother's cell phone and taunted her mother for killing her daughter and, and all because the girl came home from school and there was a Negro in her house robbing the house and, and she lives in a pretty um, uh, upscale middle class neighborhood in a Chicago suburb and and um, when, when I was a boy in, in Bayonne New Jersey there were a lot of Negroes in Jersey City there were some in Bayonne but they kept to their own little areas and when the cops saw a Negro walking through a white neighborhood, they always got stopped. They always got stopped. And we have liberalism has caused whites to take their guard down. If you see a Negro walking in, a, in an upscale Chicago suburb, you know nine times, 99 times out of 100, he doesn't belong there. If he's there, it's, it's to cause trouble or, or to do something evil or to rob somebody's house or to rape some white woman, that there's, it's guaranteed. Uh, unless he's a pro basketball player and owns a house there, he doesn't belong there. And, and if you see him, you should know that a crime either just happened or a crime's about to happen. Well, well now, in, in this politically correct world that we live in, that Negroes can go just about anywhere, and, and if a cop 
knows, and cops should know the neighborhoods they work in, right? They live in, and people should know the neighborhoods they live in. And people don't do that anymore. They don't know their neighbors anymore. But, but, um, and, and that's a shame and that's a sad reflection on, on, on whites. But, but um, if a cop saw a black man in, in a white neighborhood, he knew at one time that that black man did not belong there and that he had to leave. And when I was a kid in Bayonne, that's exactly what they did. If the Bayonne cops saw kids from Jersey City or Negroes from Jersey City that they knew didn't live in the, in the projects in Bayonne, that they'd stop them and they'd turn them around and they'd show them the border. And they'd say, that's where you're headed, one way or another, and, and get out of our town. And, and that's exactly what they did. And, and that was in the 1970s. They couldn't, they couldn't get away with doing that today, and that's a damn shame. Whites have, to a, to a great extent, been browbeaten in the media out of the ability to defend themselves from these predators, and, and we have to take that ability back and yeah, not be ashamed and, and not be embarrassed about our attitudes and not be shamed into politically correct thinking by the media and, and every time somebody tries to embarrass you about your attitude, you should understand and, and know enough of the crime statistics to be able to give an intelligent response. And, and not be afraid of being branded a racist. And, and it's only by your good example that, that your white brethren and kinsmen might might come to some form of consciousness over this whole thing. Because they're definitely, most whites are unconscious about it right now. And that's why there's so many victims. Are you still with me, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I was reading an article and trying to trying to keep my kids off of the air here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I think I've said everything I need to say tonight. I, I could say more though if you have if you want to keep going. I'm good. I mean, like I said, it, the obvious points here that you know we could illustrate. I mean, we got what just tens of thousands of cases here that we can illustrate. <laughs> well, well, right, absolutely. You know, and, and so I mean, it it'd be for the it'd be uh you know everybody's due diligence if they have any doubt in any of this they they just go look at it you know and um I've got you know links to some pretty some pretty good YouTube channels out there that all they'll do is post the news clips out there um of these incidents and you can just see it for yourself I mean you just gotta open your eyes like look they won't identify blacks they'll call them youth they'll say it's never racially motivated. Uh, you know, meanwhile, if it's a white, I mean, you get the highest level of responsibility for anything if you're white, you know, and you'll get identified well, well, right. right away. And, and so, that's what people should do is that they should not be afraid. And, and we've seen some good comments in, in mainstream websites and, and mainstream comment section lately. But but we should keep that up. We should continue. What We should hold the media accountable for not reporting the race 
of perpetrators of crimes unless they're white. Absolutely. And another thing is, you know, call these local, now, you know, don't, the main, the national ones aren't really going to do you any good, but call the local ones and let them know, you know, you live in a neighborhood or whatever, and you're just disgusted that you didn't, uh, you know, identify the crook. Even if it, if you think it's not going to do any good and they're not going to, because they're going to hear it from more than just you calling. And so therefore they're going to hear that more and more. And at some point in time, even the enemy has to bow, you know, a little bit of table scraps, you know, in order to hold any kind of credibility with the people that aren't paying attention. So it's, uh, it's, it's good to voice your opinion no matter where you're at. Right. We need to do a lot more than that. A lot more of that. Mm-hmm. But to, 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 um, it, it encourages the people that, that, are, that are shy and afraid to say anything, that, that are afraid to let things off their chests, that, that are afraid to voice their true feelings. When they see you do it, it makes them feel empowered that they could do it too. And a lot of people um, need that peer pressure and that peer example in, in order to, um, to act on their feelings. And we should know that from our teenage years, right? Well, well yeah, we, we, we have to do that, and, and we have to be more vocal uh, about the truth as we see it, and, and especially the racial truths, because it's, it's, it, it's coming down to a matter of survival for our people, that, that we get this truth out to as many people as we can and, and make people think about race issues, because the, their media and, and the schools sure as hell aren't doing it, and that is creating victims, without a doubt. Absolutely. There's a um, there's a video on my site, a, a recent case that this um, that this blonde girl fell in love with this absolutely hideous looking Negro. I mean, this is one hideous, ugly looking sob. And this blonde girl really isn't that bad looking. Her name was Casey Ray Vice, and it's um, down south somewhere. I, I think it's Florida or South, south Carolina, I think. Well, well um, she was killed. She was five months pregnant. She was killed by her so-called boyfriend, who happens to be this hideous Negro. And her father's on the video basically crying that she fell in love with the wrong person. And, and somebody should inform her father that the problem is that she didn't fall in love with the person. Bestiality is not love. <laughs> and then he, he went on a run and he ended up killing a South Carolina cop too. And, and that, that had him pulled over for a su- suspicious activity. And, and um, so, so now he's got two bodies on, on, his, uh, on his shoulders. Well, well um, it, it's incredible that this, that this father is on this video crying that his daughter fell in love with the wrong person. She fell in love with an animal. Yeah, you know, it's, it, if you let your kid climb in a cage at the zoo, you expect the kid to be rendered. And, and that's what happened. He let his daughter run off with the beast, and, and the beast devoured her. And, and probably did us a favor because she was pregnant. And, and that might sound callous, but it's true. Yeah, there was an, another incident where I saw was something similar to that, where um, this white girl was dating a beast, and then it turned out the beast had another white girl on the side, 
and so they ended up one of the the one white girl ended up killing the other white girl. So the beast is still on the streets. One white girl's dead, and another one's getting life in prison. That that's just wonderful. Yeah. So so that gets rid of two race mixing whores in 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 one be, with one beast. Yep. And, and I'm sure he'll have more victims down the road. Yeah, he's on the streets. That's for sure. It's a shame, but people need to be warned that that's the only way we're going to prevent victims. And and uh, there are going to be a lot more victims before we finally start to turn around. That that's just the way it is. Well, that that reminds me too. Is one of the things I want to bring up is that they program and in the media they program you like take for instance women like they you know movies and TV shows and movies they always. Say that uh, you know the woman that cl- the white woman that clutches her purse, she's a racist, and so they want us to be disarmed around these people. They don't want us, to, you know, like I said, when you're when you're around blacks, watch your back. They want they, they they have whites somehow hypnotized to want to disarm themselves, as if you know these these creatures are somehow uh, you know you're supposed to you're supposed to assume that you. Let me put it this way. We know it's BS because if you go to a black neighborhood, you wouldn't dare leave your car unlocked, okay? But if you went, say, in my neighborhood, you'd leave your car running in the grocery store parking lot. Right. Why is that? Because I live around nothing but white people. I wouldn't dare leave my car running in the middle of an all-black Walmart. I'll tell you that. Well, well, right. My my parents, when I was a boy in, in the 60s, we didn't lock our doors. By the 70s, after the riots in Newark, and, and I'm talking about Jersey City, right? After the Newark riots and the Jersey City riots in 1967 and 68, my parents started locking the doors. They started locking their car. The, the, the crime started going up. But by 1975, it was off the hook. Jersey City well, was basically half Negro and, and on it, well on its way to destruction. And many beautiful neighborhoods were destroyed by that time. It, it was a damn shame. And, and the whites just fled. But they didn't, you know, this is this Coon case in, in Kansas City, Missouri. This mother pulled her kid out of school, and she's fleeing the city. And, and that's what whites do. They don't stick together, but they just flee. And, and, and they don't, you know, there's no cohesiveness with whites whatsoever. And it's a shame. Well, well, we don't belong. Well, we shouldn't be living in cities with Negroes in the first place. But it's it's a shame that whites, there's no cohesiveness. They don't stand up for themselves. They just flee. And I watched it. Well, when I was a boy, after the Newark riots and the Jersey City riots, white families in Jersey City started leaving for the suburbs. And my father didn't want to leave, and, and we never did. And... and um. My, my father didn't want to leave because his business was in the city. He, he was a, a, um, a contractor and a house painter, and, and he was afraid that he wasn't going to get the, the amount of business you know, uh, to make a decent living in the suburbs. So he wanted to stay in the city, and we stayed in the city. We moved across town to a white neighborhood or, or a neighborhood that would be white for a few years longer, and, and it was. It stayed white for about 15 years longer than, than the east side of town, but, but – um, most of the white families, they, they all fled out to the suburbs, and, and I had friend after friend after friend in school that just left town, and you come to school in September, and, and three, four, five of the kids you hung out with last year were gone, right, because they all moved out. 
and, and I, I went through that white flight in, in the um, late '60s and the early '70s. That they didn't, the, the whites didn't, um, that they didn't surround the wagons. That they just ran out of town. Well, there's not too many places to run now. That's for sure. And the children of these white flatters are finding more and more. Their uh, children are bedding down with these beasts and killing off the family generations too. Well, well, right. That's what happened to a lot of the white kids that stayed behind in the cities ended up being devoured by the beasts or, or by the drug trade or, or one way or another going down the tubes. Yes, damn shame. Damn shame. And it's, it's not getting any better. Batting down the hatches, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, well we, we, we have to... Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's a hard battle, right? But but we have to wake up as many people as we can, and and that means that we have to be, to a certain degree, we have to be proactive and we have to be vociferous. We have to voice our opinions. We can't be afraid of being labeled as racist. We can't be afraid of uh, of being labeled as unpolitically correct or or any of those those Marxist. They're basically Marxist-Leninist terms that the, the, the mainstream at, at the behest of the Jew media love to fling at people like us. We can't be afraid of those labels. We can't be. Oh, we're forgetting the most important thing here. Have more white babies. And, and, and just so you guys know, my <laughs> oldest is four years old. I just had my fourth last week. And there'll be many more to come. So the Delaney clan is for at least, I don't know about everybody else out there. Some aren't together with people or whatever, but the Delaney clan at least will uh, will be able to handle a few Negroes. <laughs> well, well, I'd be happy to have more white babies if I had a field to plow, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's certainly that's going to be the toughest part of this all is having kids, but... Um, yeah, we. I mean, I, anytime the wife and I think, oh, let's take a break, let's not have any more kids, go, go through a major city or something, and you'll see that 15-year-old mestizo woman and their thing, she'll have, you know, five or six kids latched on her, you know, 15, 20 years old or whatever have you, but they're already knocking them out, you know, by the time they even hit adulthood, they already got a few in their pocket, so. Right. Well, well I had six kids once upon a time. I, I missed them, too. I, I, it's... A chorus of white children is definitely the sound of music. I can't wait to meet yours, hopefully next month. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Mike, thanks for being here tonight. And um, we'll, we'll probably continue this conversation again one day this year, I'm sure. And, and um, <laughs> praise Yahweh, in, in the end, we are going to prevail. There's no doubt. But But that doesn't mean, because we have that guarantee that we could sit with our thumbs and, and under our butt cheeks and, and do nothing, right? Well, we, exactly. What we, what we oh, have to ahead. find ways to perpetuate the truth. Thanks for hey. being here, Mike. All right, thanks for having me on. Yahweh bless. Praise Yahweh. Yahweh bless. Oh, okay, this is um, William Fink, Christogenia Saturdays, and that was Mike Delaney of ProThink.org. We will. Um, I'll be back here on Friday night with, with my third installment of the first epistle of Peter. Next Saturday, I will not be here. Carolyn Yeager will fill in for me, and she will have Rodney Martin. 
Thank you for listening, and good night. Praise Yahweh.